We completed the book of Romans on uh, Sunday nights, and I was praying where to go next. Well, tonight we're going to be in the first part of Psalm 84. Lord willing, next week we'll be in the second part. But uh, the title of this psalm that I'd like to give it, a song about the God we love. A song about the God we love. I don't know about you, but there are some of my favorite songs are about the Lord. And uh, I sing them often in my heart, in my mind, uh, when I'm traveling. Uh, there is no greater theme than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have several songs that uh, I'm sure are favorites. And when we sing them, we think of him. And uh, so this is a song about the God we love. Uh, Psalm 84, let's just, uh, let me go ahead and read all 12 verses and then we'll begin. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for thy, the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca maketh, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, our God, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. You'll notice the heading of this psalm says, To the chief musician upon Gittith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. The chief musician or the overseer is probably directed to the, or talking about the choir director here. Uh, the director would be more, uh, than just a choral director, a director of voices, but also a, a director of instruments. The phrase on the gittith, uh, a lot of things that have been suggested as to what that means. It may identify the instrument. How many of you play the gittith? Okay, I didn't think so. Uh, it could be talking about the rhythm that the psalm is, is sung to, or the melody. If Schofield is right, the gittith was a wine press, so it could be a tune that those who tread the grapes in the wine press would sing or, uh, as, they, as they worked. It's also found in the headings of the 8th Psalm and the 81st Psalm, this Gittith. It says, for the sons of Korah. The for there could be that it was written for them. It could also mean that it was written by them. There's several unanswered questions that we have. And so the possible authorship, I also always lean, to, I always lean toward David as, as an author. Any anonymous psalms, I say, well, he probably wrote that one. But possible authorship, David, or it could be the sons of Korah, if indeed it's by the sons instead of for the sons of Korah. They could be the ones performing the music, or they could be the ones listening to it, or they could be the ones writing it. 
And so there's a lot of anonymity there, and yet, as I read this, I say, this is the psalm of my heart. <laughs> I wish I had composed it. The psalm is divided musically into three sections of four verses each. That word selah is found at the end of verse 4 and at the end of verse 8. And that is, is said to be either a musical notation or uh, an instruction to stop and consider what has just been sung. I don't think we've ever done that here, where we just sing a hymn and then stop and then just ruminate and think about what we just sang. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. But here it's divided into those three sections then, one to four, five to eight, and nine to 12. The psalm answers three questions. We'll only look at the, the first tonight, and Lord willing, the, the next two questions uh, next week. The first question is, where can I find God? Psalm 84, uh, 84 verse 4 says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. And so we're going to be talking about the place of God in those first four verses. The next section is the provision of God, verses 5 through 8. How can I find strength? The third is uh, the, the pleasure of God in verses 9 through 12. What will bring lasting pleasure? So where can I find God? How can I have his strength? And what will bring lasting pleasure? And the answers to those, or the, the, the theme of those, is found in verse 4. Um, verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. That's how can I have strength, the provision of God. And then blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Verse 12, what will bring lasting pleasure? So the place of God, where can I find God? Let me read again those, those first four verses. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. And as we read through those, think of the places that are mentioned here. There are four of them. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall still be praising they, they, shall, they will be still praising thee. In these four verses, we see the heart of the psalmist. He longs to be in the presence of God. I mentioned four different places. Did you see which words refer to those? The writer knows that he'll find the Lord in his tabernacles, in his courts, at his altars, and in his house. So those will be our four points tonight. The tabernacles of God is the first. How amiable, how lovely. Here's the exclamation of praise. There's no place so lovely as when we are in God's presence. If I were to ask you, where do you like to go? What's your favorite spot on earth? Some of you have a place on one of the lakes, the great lakes around here, and that's where I've seen you take pictures and post them. That's your favorite spot. I've seen other people say that my favorite spot is the ocean. It's bigger than the lake. Some people like the mountains, and that's where they go, and that brings them pleasure. But it's not necessarily the place that the psalmist is talking about. It's the person. We're in God's presence. There are many who make religious pilgrimages to places that have religious and historic meaning. In this psalm, the pilgrim is on such a journey. But he'll discover that 
He's not going to Jerusalem just to visit the temple. He was going to be in the presence of the Lord. On this journey, he'll pass through the Valley of Baca in verse 6. The journey ends in Zion, verse 7. And as he travels, he's thinking about the loveliness, how amiable, the beauty of being in the presence of his God. The exclamation of praise. Notice the place of praise, the, thy tabernacles. The word tabernacle is a common word for uh, a place where someone lives, their residence, even their tent. God's tabernacle at this time was the temple at Jerusalem. The word tabernacles, you'll notice, is in the plural, has an S on the end, prob probably referring to the several different areas that were in the temple, the Holy of Holies, the holy place, the courts. The temple in Jerusalem was the place where Israel came to meet God, to worship him. In a book called The Bible Reader's Companion, the author Larry Richards writes, the temple might reflect God's glory, but ultimately the Jerusalem temple existed for the sake of God's people, not for God. The one who is omnipresent doesn't need a place to live. Solomon, who built the temple, said in 1 Kings 8.27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. And as he finished that wonderful structure, he was still aware that God did not dwell in temples made with hands. To long for the temple, then, was to long for the God of the temple. The psalmist was not enamored with a place, but with a person. Psalm 42, verse 1 as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Not the place, but the person. If you know the psalmist's God, you'll understand this longing to be in his presence. Church on Sunday will become much more than a place to go. It will become a place where you come to worship the Lord. And you'll find his presence amiable, lovely. We can get into routines, can't we? I just, I just got to go to church. This is the time. People are going to be there. They're going to ask if I'm there, if I'm not. And I don't want to go through that. And so we come and we, we enjoy the singing, we enjoy the fellowship, but we forget, why are we here? We're here to be in the Lord's presence. How amiable, how lovely it is to be here. And not just to sense his presence here, but as we thought this morning, when we leave this auditorium, this church building, his presence goes with us. He indwells us. And so every step of our lives, how lovely it is. There are many places that God revealed himself to people in the scriptures. The first, of course, in the Garden of Eden. He walked with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.8. It says, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a wonderful opportunity they had to be with God in the cool of the evening, to walk with him. 
He spoke to Moses from a burning bush in Exodus 3.2. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He came to Moses again at Mount Sinai, Exodus 34.5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. To stand with God. What a blessing. He was with Israel in the tent in the wilderness. The Old Testament tabernacle was the tent of meeting. It was a place where God met with them, tabernacled, dwelled with them. Numbers 1.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation. God made known his presence to the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert. A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Exodus 13.21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, to lead them in the way, and by night in the pillar of fire, to give them light to go day by day. And each time that the little children, as they would walk with mom and dad through that desert, they'd look up and they'd say, what's that cloud, mom? That's the Lord's presence. What's that fire, dad? That's the Lord's presence. To be in his presence, to know that he was going with them each step of this journey and leading them. In the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And above the mercy seat, the Shekinah glory of God represented his very presence with men. Exodus 25:22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony. The temple was the place where Israel recognized the presence of God. After 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus came in the flesh. Isaiah had prophesied his coming in Isaiah 9-2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And then 600 years after that was written in Matthew 1-23, the message came, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. His presence, how amiable, how lovely to be living in the presence of the Lord. I'm so glad that he's chosen to reveal himself to man. Have you seen him through the eyes of faith? Does he speak to you through his word? Do you enjoy his fellowship on a daily basis? How amiable. Where does God meet with you today? Where do you find that you enter his presence? you find some private time, a personal devotion on a daily basis? He wants to meet you there. Do you read his word regularly? Do you spend time with him in prayer? He may be found in times of small gatherings by other believers. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. You may sense his presence in public times of corporate worship. Some will ask, can I just stay home? Can I just go out on the river and worship God there? Isn't he omnipresent? Why is it so important to come to church? God prescribed the way Old Testament worshipers were to worship him. The Israelite was told that he, he had to follow this specific pattern. There were sacrifices 
There were things that would jar his memory to know why he needed to come to God. And God records the creation of the world and man in two chapters. And he takes 50 chapters to talk about the tabernacle. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And for the New Testament, God has always specified how we're to approach him in worship. The Old Testament, they came through those sacrifices into the, into the tabernacle or the temple. The New Testament place of meeting is the church. Again, sometimes the church would meet outside. It wasn't the place. It was the, it was the unity of the body of believers that came together in a corporate relationship to worship the God who had saved them and placed them into the body of Christ. Let me give just seven characteristics of the New Testament church. You say, well, that might be a, a little side tour, but I think it's worth taking. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we find that the early church met on Sundays. Why is it important? I see a lot of churches that have their, their sign out, and you can, you can uh, come to church on Saturday night, get it over with, and you can have Sunday off. Acts 20 verse 7 says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. <laughs> they came on the first day of the week. The early church did that. We've been meeting ever since the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday. There's a reason for that. The early church met to worship. That was the purpose. Ephesians 3.21 Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. They met to give him glory. There was glory in the church. And so we meet for that, for that purpose. We also meet to be informed. Three verses for this. Pastoral epistles are full of instructions about the, the church worship. Paul gave specific instructions on how to behave in the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How thou oughtest to behave thyself. We come to learn how we're to live, how we're to respond to God in worship. He says it's a place where sound doctrine was to be taught. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, I think we're there. I think this is the day. But after their own lust shall they, they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. At first you might think it's these teachers, but it's the people who have itching ears. Come and tickle my ears with something new, something I haven't heard before, something intriguing. No, we just preach the scriptures. That's the truth. We don't follow after fables. It says um, in verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Stories. The word is muthas. We get our word myth from it. Fiction. We have people that are following after many fables today. We also come and are informed through our music. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so music 
is designed to help us learn doctrinal truth. And how many great songs as children we've learned and we've, we've committed to memory and we sing them and, and they're rich with doctrine and truth. That's why we meet. A fourth reason, they met to gather financial resources for the work of God. 1 Corinthians 16.2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The offering that Paul was coming to collect for the, for the saints in Jerusalem. They met to gather the, the financial resources. That's why we have an offering. The fifth reason, they met to warn about false teachers. Galatians 1.8, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, did you hear it? Though we preach any other gospel, then that which we have been preached unto you, let him be accursed. If I get up here and start teaching something that's a false doctrine, let me be accursed. Even an angel from heaven, we meet to warn about false teachers. We meet also to maintain a good testimony. It's the reason for church discipline in Scripture. 1 Timothy 5.20, Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. The seventh reason, they met to exhort one another. Hebrews 10.25, a verse that we have said, uh, quoted often in the last three years. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we meet for the purpose of exhorting. How amiable, how lovely are those times when God meets with us. They're sweet in our memory, aren't they? As we look back and think about all the services that we've been in, all the hymns that we've sung, Invitation hymns that we sing today and they trigger in our, in our hearts and in our minds decisions that we made when we were in the presence of Jesus Christ. Have you been in his presence recently? Are you close to him right now? The person who is worthy to be praised. How amiable is thy presence, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah, or Yahweh, is God's eternal name. He is who he always was. He is who he forever will be. And we see that in the word, in the name Jehovah, or Yahweh, his eternal name. O Lord of hosts. He tells us that he's the creator of all. The word hosts in Hebrew is tzabah. It, it, it talks about a group. It could be a group of people. It could be a group of things that God has created. The hosts of heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars. All of these. It can refer to an army, a company of soldiers. And so when we, we refer to him as the, etern, the, of the, the Lord of hosts, he is the Yahweh, the eternal one, who is the creator of all. In the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that Martin Luther wrote the words to, uh, verse 2, it says, Lord Sabaoth, his name, comes from that word Saba, a Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. So he is the creator and sustainer of everyone and of everything, of all of his hosts. We find God in his tabernacles. Let's look at another place 
where the psalmist sought the Lord. The courts of God, verse 2. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. The psalmist here is entirely committed in his love for the Lord. Notice, my soul, my heart, my flesh, all of him. His soul is his inner being. He loves God with, with that inner being, with his spirit, with his soul. My heart, my affections, my emotions. He loves God with all of his emotions. My flesh, that is, my physical life. He loves God with his mind, his will. These are words that indicate a total love for God with everything that he has. Look at the words that describe the passion of the writer's heart. My soul longeth. There's this constant, strong desire to be with God. His soul faints. It's consumed to the point of weakness to want to be in the Lord's presence. His heart and flesh cry out. His love is, is expressed verbally to God. Look at the object of that heart's loving desire. He longed for the courts of the Lord. He cried out for the living God. The courts of God. The altars of God is another place where we are in his presence. Verse 3. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The sparrow has found a house. The sparrow is a, a little bird that has very little fear of man, and so he's found very close to our homes and our buildings. You'll find their nests in, in signs above businesses. Have you noticed those where they, they start taking the straw up into the open letters of, of stores, of businesses, and they build their nests there, sparrows. They like those openings. They don't live in forests and swamps and deserts and far north. They survive close to people. They're common. David probably saw many of them in the temple area. The Lord used them as examples of his care. You're of more value than many sparrows. A sparrow has found a house. He notices too the swallow has found a nest where she may lay her young. Swallows are birds that feed while they're in flight. Insects, uh, bugs that are on the wing. And like the sparrow, they're commonly seen around buildings. They build their nests of mud in the corners of bridges and buildings. There's another bird that David is considering as he, as he thought about the temple. Perhaps there were some that nested there at the temple. The nesting bird is secure. Her young have a safe home. But then we come to the last part of verse 3. And we don't find a subject, even thine altars. The worshiper finds that the altars of the Lord are a comfort to him, are the nest for him. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How does he address the Lord? The Lord is in all capital letters here. Again, Yahweh, the eternal God. Of hosts, again, we see the word Sabah, the creator, creator of all hosts. My God is Elohim, the almighty God. My king, his sovereign authority. Where does he find rest? Even thine altars. The brazen altar was a, a place where the sacrificial animal was, was offered. It represents the blood atonement that was made for our sins. 
The altar of incense was a place that represented the prayers of God's people ascending up to the Lord. Both of these were God's prescribed ways to come to him. And there is security. When we come the way he prescribes, there is rest. There is a home. We are at home. The soul comes to God, God's way. And your soul will find eternal security only in salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ is your only hope for security. Christian, your soul will only find peace and rest in prayer, that sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. We come to the last place where the psalmist found God, the house of God. What's the result of spending time with God? Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. This blessing, uh, there are two words in the Old Testament that could uh, be translated blessing. Barak was a, is a pronouncement of blessing, a verbal pronouncement. But Asher, or Asher, is a state of happiness. The words that's used here, the word that's used here, blessed, is that state of happiness. You will be continually happy. The more time you spend with the Lord, the more joyful you will be. Remember that joy is not found in circumstances of life. You can be happy when your world seems to be falling apart. Joy is not found, as some people think, in the absence of trials. It's found in the presence of Christ. Notice the place, thy house. Again, this is not a place that God needs to live, but a place where we can go to worship him. The praise, still praising. Once you begin giving praise to God, you'll never stop. We sing the song, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we'd first begun. Where does God dwell today? Paul reminded the men of Athens who had stations throughout the, the city where they worshiped many false gods. He reminded them that God does not live in man-made temples. Acts 17, 24, God hath made the world, or God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Where does God dwell? Where is his temple today? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What an unusual temple for God to dwell in. But in the person of the Holy Spirit, he resides in every believer. 2 Corinthians 6.16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. You see at home in your life, do you recognize his presence? Do you sense in your daily routine of life that he's speaking with you, that he's walking with you? that you're dwelling with him. You might have to admit, well, he's here, but I've kept some of the doors to my temple closed. Today is the day to give him every key. 
Surrender all to him. You'll find pleasure, happiness, continual blessedness as you walk in the presence of the living Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm. And as we've just thought of these first four verses and considered what, what the worshiper thought as he went into the tabernacle of God, we've been reminded that you don't dwell in temples made with hands. In fact, you dwell within us. What a marvelous truth. And I pray that it will change the way that we live. That we would get up recognizing your presence. That we would surrender more of our, of our thoughts to be thinking of you. That we would surrender more of our time, spending time in worship and in praise to you. And may others see that we're different because Christ dwells in us. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory, for it belongs to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.